This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Why is your name on the desk? I bought the desk. My name's there so no one steals it. That's a joke, isn't it, Dad? Yeah, buddy, that's a joke. Live from Joe's mom's basement in Texarkana, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, money fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and in preparation for this weekend's big Father's Day festivities, we're dedicating this episode to all the dads out there, even mine. More on that later, but on today's show, please welcome Lynette Calfani Cox. And of course, we'll have headlines about some of the dumbest money criminals ever, answer your letters, throw out the Haven Lifeline, and more. And here they are, two guys who prove that there should be a test before you can have kids, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. Would have totally aced that one. Well, I don't even need the test. I've got a coffee mug right here that says "World's Greatest Dad." There so it is. I've already passed the test. Apparently, mine just says M twenty two. My mine says a high IQ score. <laughs> hey, everybody! I am Joe Salci. Hi, average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me again on Hump Day. It's uh, the one and only other guy, or as we call him, OG. Any fun plans for Father's Day? You know, I am going to a. <laughs> This is horrible on a buddy podcast. I'm going to a racetrack, like like horse race, horse races. Hell yes. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And I've gone before. I've gone once. Longtime listeners might remember that I went once and I won big. And so I thought I was retired, but now I get to go and win big again. I told my buddy Rick, I said, of course I'm going to go. I like it. I go to the horse races. I win. The horse races are easy. It's not called gambling. It's called winning. It's called Hello. Yeah. You know what else is called winning when you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. That was the money. best one ever. You just softballed it right into me. Because when you go to magnify money, you know what you find? The average person there, OG, saves $450. That's a Father's Day present right there. Half of one anyway. <laughs> right. 450 bucks. Not like winning at the horse race. Actually, I had a $5 bet and I won $70. So. Oh, sorry. I thought you said you won big. <laughs> I'm, I'm that misheard. was big. I mean, look, that's, that's a good a, return on investment. A huge return on investment. I mean, anyway. Barely two dinners at the Sizzler. Nick Clements is sitting there wondering when we're going to talk about his company, Magnify Money. Because checking accounts, savings accounts, not the best horse out there, but the best horses when it comes to checking accounts, savings accounts. Huh? There you go. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. You know, people that are doing these reward games, Reward games are a change in, but like Nick said, when he was on our SB Live uh, Facebook Live a couple weeks ago, he said there's never been a better time to look at rewards points. Rewards are bigger and better than they've ever been. So, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. Great show today. Phenomenal guest. Lynette Kalfani Cox used to be a Wall Street Journal reporter, used to be also with CNBC. And uh, we've got her here on the show because she is the money coach. And we get to talk to the money coach about something that you and I have never done. She has done. She got into debt to the tune of $100,000, not including any debt. Hold on. No, 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 no. I know your mortgage is 101000 Only credit card debt. Only credit card debt of 100000 bucks. She's going to tell us all about uh, how she found her way out of $100,000 in debt. And I love these success stories, and she definitely has one. 
So we got that. We got the Haven Lifeline. But first, we got some phenomenal headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. First headline comes to us from Investment News, the place where financial advisors get their news. This written by Greggy Akerchi. I got to write to Greg sometime and ask him how the heck to pronounce his name because every time I say it, I think I slaughter it. Here's the headline. The appeal and pitfalls of holding unconventional assets in retirement accounts. It says, while non-traditional asset classes held in IRAs may have return and portfolio diversification benefits, there are, quote, unique complexities that limit their value for most investors. You know, it's funny with the stock market going up and up, OG, I've got more questions lately about people saying, hey, what if I put a rental house into an IRA? Or what if I bought, you know, something crazy? Well, and we had uh, Madeline, right, from Art Thenon talking about uh, buying art inside of inside your investment portfolio. He says, you got to watch out. It's very complicated, right? I mean, there's so many pitfalls and so many obstacles. And the problem is, is that if you do one thing wrong, the whole thing blows up. And by the whole thing, I mean, the IRS looks at your IRA and says, well, now that's an entire distribution. And P.S. you owe us taxes on that. And you're under 60, so you also owe us a 10% penalty. And if you do something like buy a rental house and you follow it up, well, how do you get the money to pay the tax bill? You know, if you've got a $200,000 IRA and you mess it up, so now you owe hundred grand in taxes, well, how are you going to get it? It says these investments are becoming more broadly accessible. Liquid alternative funds increasingly bring alternative asset classes, otherwise largely accessible only to the wealthy, to individual investors. Security and Exchange Commission member Michael Powauer recently suggested lowering the threshold to be considered a, quote, a credit investor, people that can get these. Such investors currently limited to those with a net worth of a million or more, excluding the value of their residents, have access to private and exotic investment strategies. That's why I wanted to bring this up. We're seeing many, many more exotic things. I, maybe it's that I spend all day online, but I don't think so. I think it's that with the stock market going crazy, OG, people are looking for the next, next thing now. Well, and, and it's all about product manufacturing, if that's the job that you're in, right, is you're trying to create something that's going to generate some cash for your company. And it doesn't really matter what or if it belongs in a regular person's retirement account or, or investment account. You know, a lot of times when we talk to people, it's they're hoping that there's some kind of magic pill or magic investment that that we recommend. It's, it's not quite often the easiest thing to do is just keep it really, really, really simple. Yeah. They quote our friend Michael Kitsis in this article. He talks about, you know, people like buying houses inside of IRAs. Like, and you can do this. You can purchase an individual house, put it inside an IRA. Now you can't visit the property. You can't, you can't touch it. You can't stay there. And if you use debt, it becomes even messier. It can trigger some unrelated business tax income, UBIT, as they call it in the business, and it gets even more messy. And I think, you know, people don't don't think about stay away. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's some tough for stuff. about ninety nine point nine seven percent of the population. Or if you're going to go in, go in with somebody that knows the ins and outs completely. And and I also worry about liquidity with some of these investments, right? Yeah. And that's why people. That's why this accredited investor rule is around because the liquidity of these investments is so bad. I mean, imagine that you bought a house inside your IRA and then it's the only money that you have and the market has dropped through the floor and you had a, you know, you had, you had a loan to take out the property. Your IRA is underwater. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, that makes, that, that makes my head hurt. Our second piece comes to us from market watch that this one was great. Dumbest bank robbers ever. Guess what these bank robbers did? This is this is fantastic. So they have an ATM machine. So let's say that you go to an ATM machine and you're thinking you're going to rob it. The dumbest way to rob it of all, it took a blowtorch to it. And they real hmm. they realized during the robbery that they were setting the money on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so then they decided they decided the only way to stop the fire because they didn't have any extinguisher was to urinate on the bills. Obviously. Yeah. A couple of aspiring bandits from Everett, Washington, reportedly attacked an ATM machine with a blazing blowtorch. 
as hoped hot flames did get them through the metal barrier designed to protect the machine stashes of cash. But once they hit pay dirt, they met a surprise $20 bills burn. Who knew? Oh gee, they burn pretty easily. They're pretty, uh, pretty quick. Their entire hall went up in smoke as they fled the scene. At least those idiots kept their outlandish garb in the closet. A couple of 1970s cheese culture loving fools paid tribute to Rick James and the black exploitation flick Superfly during a job in Indianapolis. Uh, this is another one. One dressed as James, the other got all duded up as the Superfly character, Youngblood Priest. And for a while at work, they got the money, pulled off two more heists, though only Rick James remained in costume and became internet sensations. Their fourth holdup, however, was interrupted by police officers and a super freaky car chase at speeds exceeding 100 miles per hour. Uh, some pretty dumb criminals. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, not a good idea. Way better ways to take money out of an ATM. As you say, there's way better ways to be super fly. Well, that too. Yeah, good stuff. So I think our lessons from today's uh, <laughs> today's headlines, number one, alternative investments in your IRA. Uh not for most of us. And by most, I mean almost everybody listening to this. And then the second is uh, going to go rob an ATM and maybe not a blowtorch and probably leave the Rick James costume at home. Lynette Kilfani Cox has worked all over the place. She's a two-time recipient of the Dow Jones International News Award. In 2009, she and co-author Susan Beecham received an Excellence in Financial Literacy Education Award from the Institute for Financial Literacy for the Millionaire Kids Club. She's written 12 books. She's appeared on Oprah Winfrey, on The Dr. Phil Show. She's, of course, worked as a CNBC Wall Street reporter. And now she's finally, OG, getting her big break, talking to us about getting a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt all at the same time by the way while she's reporting on news back it's like one purchase back quite a while ago oh no 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 she, she said all at the same time so. well i'm saying all at the same time as she's pretending oh there's a comma there okay that, yeah that she's uh you know fantastic with money and now she definitely is, and she's going to talk about how she's learned from those mistakes. I love stories like this. Lynette Kofani-Cox coming down to the basement. And Lynette Kofani-Cox joins us in the basement. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm glad you could make it here. You have the most amazing story because you coach people now about good money habits, but much like me... You, at one point, apparently were a disaster with money. Complete and total disaster. <laughs> I like to tell people I was a little bit of a hot financial mess. I mean, back in 2001, I had an enormous amount of debt, credit card debt in particular. I had $100,000. And I know it sounds crazy and ridiculous, and of course it was. But fortunately, I was able to pay it all off in three years. Uh, I never missed a payment. No, I didn't file bankruptcy because people were like, how did you get rid of that? <laughs> you yeah, know? right. I actually paid off every dollar that I owed and then some with all the interest. And then I wrote this book about it called Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom. And who knew? It wound up becoming a New York Times bestseller. So at least that was the one good thing that I got out of that horrible experience, you know? So Well, let's, let's actually stop there because I want to go right to the darkest day, Lynette. So there must have been a time... I don't know if it was when it reached six figures or what, but you said to yourself that it's got to change. Do you remember where you were and really what the trigger was that changed everything for you? You know, one of the things that I've found now as a money coach and having been through this horrible situation of being kind of a slave to debt and then helping other people get out of debt is typically most people do need to kind of hit rock bottom before they make a drastic change. So some people like literally go through bankruptcy. Some people go through divorce because of all the debt. I did go through divorce and financial problems were a big factor in our relationship, but didn't, you know, 100% cause the divorce. Sure. But in my case, believe it or not, and it's, I'm so, I'm, I'm kind of like ashamed and embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't have one of these sort of hit rock bottom, you know, oh, I got fired from a job because of this. I went through a divorce. I went through bankruptcy. Mine was really more like vanity 
<laughs> and so if you want to know like a couple of things that were wake up calls for me, it was stupid stuff. It was like me, you know, trying to bling a little bit and just like being out at a restaurant in New York City with friends or my sisters or something and saying, oh, no, don't worry. I've got it. You know, I've got the bill or whatever. And then I'm trying to slap down my MasterCard and the waiter just kind of appears to be like walking in slow motion, you know, coming back to me. And I'm just like silently praying, please, God, let this card have gone through. Because, Joe, believe it or not, I have been embarrassed more than once. And so sometimes it was okay. And sometimes it was like, uh, ma'am, this card was declined, yeah. you know. So I think that after a while, I kind of got fed up with just like, being in a place where I was worried about credit and debt issues and fretting over it, even though I was making like totally good money. I had a six figure income. You know, I was a Wall Street Journal reporter for CNBC. So it wasn't like I didn't know some things to do. Right. It just got to the point where I finally literally sat down and said, OK, let me knock this out. Let me, you know, add up first all my bills and see, you know, what's the damage that we've done here. That's the hardest part, by the way, I think. Is, <laughs> it is, really is. Yeah, you, you put that number in front of you. Most people I talk to, well, as you know, coaching people, they never have the number in front of them. And once you do, exactly. that's a wake-up call. Yeah, it's a huge eye-opener. And most people, as you know, they just play around with it. They guesstimate, you know, oh, I think I have about 15000 in debt. And then when they add it up, it's like nineteen five. Or sometimes it's not as bad as they think. Mine was way worse than I thought, you know, when I added it all up and I saw $100,000. I was like, oh, my God, what have you done? So I just really decided this is crazy. I'm going to start chipping away at this. And I really shouldn't be living like this. Just totally from overspending. I was like a classic overspender. I was making six figures, but I was damn near acting like I was earning seven figures. So the math will never work. I teach people now, if you spend more than you earn, you'll always be broken in debt. No getting around it. How did you, yeah, and it's and it's not hard math, right? I mean, it's just- Right, right. It's, it's pretty easy math, right. but you know, too bad 80% of us can't stick to it, you know? A lot of people listening are wondering, how did you get approved for that much credit? Because, you know, you see people with credit lines of $30,000, $40,000 being approved for $100,000 of credit. That's a lot of credit that's at your fingertips. Yeah, well, so here's the deal. I was a very good customer in the sense that the banks loved me because I paid on time. I never missed a payment. So- they were sort of more than happy to keep extending my lines of credit, but it definitely got to the place where I was maxed out and I couldn't get additional lines of credit or needless to say, I couldn't keep charging on my cards. So that was, you know, not a fun time. The bottom line is that banks actually like it. If you are a revolver, if you're carrying a balance from, you know, month to month, but you actually pay, they're like, oh, great. Here, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll keep giving you a little more. <laughs> For me, it actually wasn't hard to keep getting many credit cards. And then I had big lines of credit, just like I do today. But now I just pay them off in full and keep a zero balance. Right. So. Yeah. When you had all that credit card debt and you're buying dinner for your friends, have those habits changed? Because I'm guessing that you don't say, hey, I'm picking up the whole bill anymore either. You know, actually I do, but I do it judiciously. I and need to I go to, I need to go to circumspect, I, you know, I, I need to go to lunch with you. Let's go to lunch right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to head up to my neck of the woods. And right. Actually, I'll come to you. It's cheaper there. <laughs> Deal. Well, as soon as we're done recording here, we'll go upstairs and we'll take mom with us. I mean, hey. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of my habits have actually stayed the same. Well, put it like this. A lot of my appetites and desires have stayed the same, but I've modified my approach to it. For example, I used to love to travel and I still do. But in my previous life with my ex-husband, for example, I would say, okay, well, yeah, let's go to the Caribbean. And I put it on a credit card and I think I'll just worry about how I'm going to pay for it later. Well, now I don't do that. If I'm going to pay, I'll, I, if I want to use a card, I will, but again, I'll pay it off in full. And so the thought process, the thinking is different and we'll literally say, okay, we're going to limit this. If it's us and the kids, you know, our budget is $3,000 for the week, $4,000, 5000 whatever we're prepared to spend. And then we're, we're not going to just let the debt from summertime linger into Christmas time, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And I will say no to some things now, or I'll modify like I'm, uh, because I really do love to travel. 
Um, and I still travel a lot, again, with my new husband, and we do it responsibly. But I'll say, okay, well, now can we just do a weekend instead of like a week or two somewhere? You know, so stuff like that, modifying some of the habits. But it's not like the desire and the appetite, frankly, I found. It doesn't really just go away. That's why it's like you can't really just like totally change people's money personalities, whatever has sort of been rooted in them from, you know, I don't know, childhood on. So. It's, Not that I ever went anywhere in my childhood, and maybe that's the reason. <laughs> so, but but it's true. I mean, it's like they say, even at Alcoholics Anonymous, that your desire to drink doesn't go away. You have to change yeah. inside and recognize yeah. those thoughts. When you had the credit card debt and you first went on the attack, tell me how you attacked the debt to pay it off so damn quickly because obviously you had great income, so that helped. But was there a way that you stacked the debt to go on the attack? I did a number of things. And even though I did have, as I mentioned, a very nice salary, I actually went through a downsizing in the midst of all of that. In 2003, I lost my job as a Wall Street Journal reporter for CNBC. They pretty much told me and, you know, 200 other people, sorry, we can't afford you guys anymore. You got to go by. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a little nicer than that, but yeah. that was the gist of it. March 1st, 2003 was my last day on air as a reporter there at CNBC. And that same month, March 2003, is when I started my company. And thank God I did because I've never looked back since. And I make way more money working for myself now than I ever did back then. But I'm saying all that to say that I had to do a lot of things, some of which I did right, some I did wrong. The bad stuff, I'll tell you up front, I tapped into my 401k when I left because I actually when I started my business, I made the grand old mistake and I do not recommend, you know, other people do this you know, just running through my retirement savings. And, you know, a lot of people now ask me questions about, oh, should I use my 401k money, you know, to pay off debt or to start a business or whatever? And I'm like, no, don't do it. You're going to regret it later. <laughs> you know, I'll tell them about opportunity costs and about trying to do stuff organically. But what I did was first I stopped playing around with the debt. I was totally making minimum payments all the time. And I was comfortable making minimum payments. But that was just... I don't even say treading water now. It was kind of like me moving backwards because, you know, of interest, even though I had low interest rates, I negotiated with all of my creditors. I got all my credit card interest rates knocked down. And at the time they were like, nothing was above four or 5%. So, I mean, this, I, I was able to negotiate. And again, I had some leverage because I'd never missed any payments. And of course they didn't want me to take my business elsewhere. So, the rates being low helped a lot. I had a couple even at 0%. Oh, nice. Um, I started doubling and tripling the payments that I was making, which helped a lot because I now know that, you know, minimum payments in the short run really mean maximum payments in the long run. Right. I started using windfalls. So when I got a bonus off the job, when I got um, holiday gift money, when I got an income tax refund check, I stopped all that quote unquote extra money towards the credit card debt. I got serious about budgeting. I was able to tell myself no in a modified way to some of the stuff that I mentioned, whether it was just, you know, kind of eating out all the time or traveling or whatever. And I made some tough choices too. My kids, so my oldest, she's 19 now. She just finished her sophomore year in college. My son is 17. And now my husband Earl and I have a, a, an 11 year old as well. But long story short, back then my kids, they were five and three. And they were in very expensive private school, you know, in New Jersey. It was like 20 grand a year <laughs> for wow. a kindergartner and a preschooler, you know. So I made the decision. We pulled them out of that very expensive private school, which, by the way, Joe, I'd use credit card, you know, the checks that you get because I didn't have the cash to pay for that private school. Wow. I used that money, the, the, the cash, the line of credit to pay for tuition. Totally crazy, insane, stupid stuff. Again, I know now, I see it in hindsight, but, it's but at the time- But it's funny, know. that's the status stuff that you're talking about, right? I mean, the status is very important to you then to have your kids in the private school. Yeah, and, and not it wasn't even just that so much. Honestly, it was, you know, being raised for the most part by a single mom. My parents divorced when I was seven. My dad was a shoeshine man. His dad was a shoeshine man, so was his father. My mom never went to college, but both my parents taught all five of us girls 
you can do anything, go for it. So all five of us went to college, three of us went to grad school, three of us became business owners. And my parents were like, which college will you be attending? So we always grew up with this mindset of sort of achievement and academic success. And in my family, education was such a huge priority, mainly because my parents didn't go to school. And so they put a lot on us and had high expectations. And we always believed in giving our kids a good start. So in my head, I kind of rationalized and justified it and said, okay, I'm trying to give my kids the very best, you sure. know? Yeah, right, so, right. But, but, you know, took them out of the private school, put them in a way, way, way less expensive private school, and then put them in public school, and they're great. I mean, they turned out just fine, but I can't tell you how much I fretted over that. I bet. You know, thinking, oh my God, am I hurting my kids? And they're just fine, you know, so. Wow. So a lot of modification. Let's go into the budgeting because a lot sure. of people talk about different types of budgeting. What type of budget did you use as you were getting out of debt? A lot of it was about living on cash and being willing to stop the cycle of overspending and get off the crutch that credit can be. So you de you develop like this dependency and it's really like lifestyle stuff. For me, and which is something that I maintain to this day, a lot of it is about recognizing obviously the difference between you know wants and needs, that kind of thing. But I know people who do zero-based budgeting and the envelope method and blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I wasn't sort of conscientiously using any specific approach. What I was doing, though, was laying off those credit cards yeah. and saying, no, I didn't cut them up. I didn't freeze them or anything like that, which is, you know, some other stuff that people do. But I started to see how much it had affected my credit as well. And literally at the time sort of unbeknownst to me, I thought, okay, my credit must still be fine because I pay everything on time and I never miss payments. But just having so much debt sapped my credit scores until I actually paid it off. And I saw this huge jump in my credit scores. And then I started really sort of recognizing the links between credit and debt. And, and it's funny, I'm sure then as you were successful, that made you want to go faster and faster. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I tell people all the time now, you know, you can catapult your financial life and just sort of jumpstart things in a whole host of ways. Um, I did an interview uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, with uh, Men's Health um, you know, magazine, and we were talking about all these ways to save. And I was alluding to the fact that it's not just saving on your spending, but other things like managing credit and debt wisely will help you to save money because like your credit is king when it comes to saving. You want to, you know, have good credit to save on mortgage, credit card rates, student loans, auto loans. I read an article the other day talking about bad credit is going to potentially cost you as much as $2,000 more in auto insurance premiums, you know, not to mention getting a job because employers are looking at that stuff. So, right, right. Yeah, you know, I would encourage your listeners to be thinking along those lines as well and to, to recognize the importance of, yes, managing your debt wisely, but also how that ties in with your credit rating as well. How did life change for you after you made that last payment on $100,000 in credit card debt? Oh, oh man. I was so, it was like a, a weight being lifted off your shoulders. Just, I think more, it was a determination to never go back. And it was a realization of how much of a financial and emotional burden that had been. It did affect me in a lot of ways. Um, I mentioned, obviously, that I was previously married and got a divorce. Yeah. And again, finances were definitely, a, you know, one of many, many, many issues right. that kind of went, went wrong in that relationship. But again, now, so many years out of it, people are, you know, sometimes people go, oh, my God, wow, you got out of 100000 in credit card debt. I, that's to say nothing of the 40000 in student loans I had that I paid off after I got out of grad school at USC and other stuff. But I can tell you this, Joe, it's way more difficult to stay out of debt than it is to just pay off debt, even if it's an enormous amount, because lifestyle and just human nature and the passage of time, you have to really be committed and conscientious about saying, OK, this is the kind of life and this is the mindset that I'm going to adopt to kind of keep me out of trouble uh, going forward. It's such an exciting story, and I'm so glad that you told it to us because we all need inspiration along the way, right? And there's so many people out there that's struggling with debt, so it, I'm so glad you told it. So tell us a little bit about what's going on at the site. You have the university now uh, right. out that people can take, so tell me about that. Right. I have Money Coach University that we recently launched, and it's an online video-based platform. So you do, it at, I, your, you, you do it at your own pace? 
Absolutely. So yeah. the beauty of it is, is you can enroll free of charge. And we're actually tweaking the, the model there a little bit because I, I, I would love for it to be since I have a kid in, at a school where it's 55 grand a year, <laughs> she's at UT Austin. When I think about like the trend towards like tuition free college and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, hmm, how can I make Money Coach University just totally free, 100% for everything? It's not right now, but there are many courses online that are free. But the idea behind Money Coach University was, you know, I have coaching clients and people pay, you know, X rates. But then I thought, a video-based platform allow me to scale what I do, but also offer my services and information and advice at a lower cost way. Right. So, you know, there's budgeting classes. There are many classes about credit and debt. And there's insurance class that's free on there. There's a home ownership class that's free on there. There is a course on paying for college and winning scholarships. And, you know, so it's I'm really super excited about it because I just think people like the ability to do stuff at their own pace and right. time and just, you know, learn in a way that's not just reading, which again, I have a master's degree in journalism and I happen to love to read and I've written 12 books and all that good stuff. But I, I know I'm in the minority these days. People want, you know, they want to listen, they want to watch a video and I'm like, all right, Lynette, get with it. Step into the 21st century here. You know, So we're doing a lot more digital and video and um, we're partnering with some folks for different things. I was mentioning before about, Credit, Credit Sesame is a, a partner of mine. I work as a financial educator uh, and a money expert for them. Shameless plug for anybody who wants to help with their credit. You should definitely go grab your free credit score via Credit Sesame. But it's one of those things where Money Coach University is sort of focused on bread and butter issues like credit, debt, budgeting. I have a course called Better Budgeting. So I'm, I'm just super excited about it because the growth, you know, in a couple quick couple months has been great. And I, I tell people about it on my Facebook and, you know, YouTube and Twitter and all my little social media accounts. Well, so. And we'll link to your social media accounts at stackybenjamins.com on our show notes page. And also to ask the money coach where people, all you do is click on courses, right? I mean, I'm at the page right now. You just click on courses Perfect. and that's where people can take all the courses. Lynette, thanks for hanging out with us today a little bit. You're very welcome. Appreciate you having me on. Hey there, money fans, and welcome to the best part of the show, my trivia. But first, I gotta thank Joe's mom. To make this Father's Day extra special, she bought us tickets to the circus just so I can try to figure out which one of the workers is my dad. But speaking of circuses, how about this trivia? With the recent news that the biggest circus, Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey, has ended, it got me wondering, what year did the money-making machine that was the Ringling Brothers Circus actually start? I'll have your answer right after this. I raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks. And guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Welcome back, money fans. I'm so excited about maybe meeting my dad at the circus. What type of carny do you think he is? I bet he was a strong man or probably one of those trapeze artists or maybe even a lion tamer. Yeah, that's probably it. Maybe I'll get my big break and perform trivia live inside the circus tent. But I can't figure anything out in the basement. So let's get on with the trivia. Before the break, I asked you this question. What year did the Ringling Brothers Circus start performing? The answer, 1884. 
talk about history. Of course, the group merged with Barnum and Bailey later on to form the traveling act you probably recognize, the greatest show on earth. And to think, I may have come from such a prestigious line. No wonder I'm this good on the mic. Time to hand it back to Joe and OG. I got to get to the circus. See ya. Not bad. Pretty close. I said late 1800s. Yeah, yeah, you were 12 years off. Not it's bad. Up by a dozen, but you know. You're in the you're in the ballpark. I ain't no ballpark neither. Name that movie. I, I don't even know. No idea. Somebody somebody knows what that is. Somebody does know what that is. Somebody somebody won themselves a t-shirt when they write to OG at secondbedrooms.com oh, and tell me what the movie line is from. You giving it to the first one or you wanna you want it first one. No, no, first no, no, person. No. Well, but that, that that helps East Coast. Let's do this. Everybody who answers it. Put them all in a hat and draw one. Okay. Do that. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they have been spearheading innovation within, I like the spearheading innovation within the life like insurance I, I, in industry. In my mind, I think of a spear. I don't do. You? Like Haven like Life a- on the tip of the spear. They're focusing on those two things you value most. And I'm not talking about pizza and Pop Tarts, OG. I'm talking about your family and your Diet time. Diet Coke injected. That's, yes, family that's, and time. That's yep, why, that, that's why that they one. created a high- Numbers three and four on the list. A high quality and most, most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy issued by Mass Mutual. You can purchase entirely online. No need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one instantly with Haven Life. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life for a free quote and learn about life insurance the modern way. You know, it was last September- that they announced their InstaTerm process, which if you're qualified and healthy, you get to skip the most intrusive parts of purchasing insurance and uh, all that without a convenience fee. Don't you love it? No convenience fee. Don't need to be convenient. I love going through Ticketmaster and I get that convenience fee. Or when you buy movie tickets online, like why am I paying extra? Yeah, right. When you go on Fandango and it's like, yeah, tickets are eight bucks a piece plus two fifty for convenience. And you go, well, let me look at the theater. Oh, Yep, there's nobody in the entire theater yet. So I'll yeah, why would I do that anyway? There. Thank you. Yeah, no convenience fee with the Haven Life policy. Today we're making it really convenient, though. We made it convenient for Mark to ask us a question. Say hello, Mark. Hi, Joe, OG, and Doug. I have a question for OG. I hear you talking about staying with a all stock portfolio. You're not very fond of bonds. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit. You also mentioned not changing your asset allocation over time. So I'm on the same wavelength as you, and I'm looking for some support for that position. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for the question, Mark. And OG, written directly to you and why he included no. why he included Mark ought to be buddies. <laughs> you guys are pals. Sounds like, sounds like we can go to Applebee's together and talk about the benefits of modern portfolio theory. Sounds like a hell of a great time. <laughs> Ash made in heaven. Yeah. You know how many mudslides you can no, anyway. Okay. Uh, expand on my on my all stock portfolio conversation. Really, Mark, it just boils down to the math component of it. If you look at the real return, so when I say real return, I mean return after inflation over the last 90 years of big companies and small companies, and compare that to treasuries or corporate bonds, it doesn't make any sense. If you look at treasuries and corporate bonds, treasuries are yielding about zero after inflation. Corporate bonds may be three, while big stocks are at seven and small stocks are at, at nine. So, you know, the question is, do you want stuff that grows at three, seven, or nine? And I think the really kind of biggest component of that is the fact that it's hard to quantify the exponential nature of that extra three or 4% every single year forever. And and it, it really has a profound impact. Um, we could talk about this on another show, I suppose, just the, the math behind it. But 3%, 7%, or 9%, which one of those do you want? And so that, that becomes pretty easy for me. And then as far as not changing the plan, there's a little asterisk to that, to be fair. You know, as you get closer to retirement and we know that there's going to be a distribution needed out of the plan, to have the all-stock portfolio, you have to have some reserves in place in case the market goes down by 40%, which it can do if you have an all-stock portfolio. So to withstand that big decline, you have to have a little bit of cash set aside. I'd like to have two years worth of distributions in cash 
So effectively, you probably end up with, give or take, a 90% stock portfolio and a 10% cash portfolio, frankly, right? If you have taken two yeah. years of money out, right? right you know, right. if you're taking 4% out, you're like 92 and 8. So that cash is going to sit there until the portfolio goes down a pre-described amount. We talk about that with every client individually. And then we start taking the money out of cash. That allows the portfolio to recover for the next two years and get back to its uh, previous levels. So there are some slight adjustments as you get closer to retirement. But, you know, if you're 64, you need 65-year-old money and 66-year-old money for sure. But you also need 78-year money and 88-year money and 98-year money. And and if you're investing it like that, you're thinking, hey, I've still got 30-year money there. Well, then you can start really projecting from an estate standpoint all the good that you can do for other people in your life. So, um, you know, family or charity or church or whatever is is important to you. If people weren't so hell bent on getting conservative when they get to, you know, the day they cross that threshold into retirement, number one, they'd keep up with inflation better and they wouldn't be destitute later in life. But more importantly, they'd have all sorts of extra money from which they could do a lot of good stuff for. So I'm with you, brother. Stand there, hold that guide on. Do not cross that line, right? We are standing <laughs> arm in arm together. All stock all the time, baby. And uh, not me. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I still think there's a place in portfolios for bonds. There's a middle ground. And as you are on the glide path. <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. I love it. I wasn't even going to say the word glide path. And then I went, oh, oh, I have this opportunity. This is a, you know, segue it right in there. And I look right across the table. I mean, at you. all of this boils down to the single greatest determinant to portfolio success is investor behavior, right? If you are going to pull the plug on your plan, it's an alliteration, by the way. If you're going to pull the plug on your plan, when the market goes down 40%, you can't have all stocks because you'll blow the plan up. You'll do the wrong thing. And so in working with clients, we try to figure out exactly where that threshold of pain is, where you're going to blow the plan up and then build the models, build the portfolio for you that keeps you within the thing that makes you comfortable. That doesn't change my opinion on the whole thing because I can, you know, I tolerate it. I'm okay with it because I know the out, you know, I know the outcome as best as I can. So yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the question. It's a great question, Mark. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for the question, Mark. If you'd like us to throw out the Haven Lifeline to you, it's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And we are happy to uh, disagree a little bit on our answers because I'm probably right. Most of the time I'm right. OG's right once in a while. Mm -hmm. Doug also brings down the mail and uh, brought us this note from our friend Patrick. Patrick says, hey, gang, absolutely love the show. As a Canadian, by the way, I laughed myself silly over your guess that Canadian term. Boy, and Good day, mate. That that segment was the most written about segment that anybody's written to us. People either loved it or they absolutely hated it. Or they didn't get it. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, loved it or hated it. And I'll just say this. If you come to the Stacky Benjamin Show looking for a ton of financial nuggets versus just relaxed chat about money, uh, we're... We're probably not the right show, <laughs> but but anyway, that's what we got from the haters. But I laughed my head off too. Patrick up in Canadian land, eh? Yes, he says, by the way, a loony is the $1 coin, of course. On the front is an actual bird called a loon. It's a favorite bird in Canada because of the haunting whistle-like call that carries a long way over water. Isn't that interesting? We get a Canadian bird lesson from Patrick yeah. too. He has a question for us though. Gee, he says, how do you factor home ownership into retirement planning? I've seen the whole gamut of answers on this one. I'm curious of your take. Here's another along with it. At 55 years old with close to a million, would you pay off the remaining third of your mortgage, $170,000, or lock it in while interest rates are low and use the cash elsewhere? Keep up the great work and entertaining banner regards, Patrick. Thanks for the question, Patrick. Home ownership. You know, this is an easy one, right? This is the math question. The math question is uh, borrow at low and invest at high. And assuming that uh, you've got a long time horizon, why not borrow the money at, I don't know what the rates are up in Canada, but I can imagine they're pretty close to the U.S. rates, 3-4%. Borrow it at 3-4%, pay it over the next 400 years, Ta -da. And, and let it go. There is that really kind of 
heartstrings pull of emotion. We talked about that last week, right? On uh, the emotional aspect of financial planning and being debt free and not having a house payment sure is sure is appealing. I don't know that I'd do it with 17% of my portfolio though. You know, I got a million bucks and I owe 170 on my mortgage. I don't know. That's a big number. That's a lot. Um, that's what I was thinking. I mean, you know, that's a lot of money. So I would, I would make sure it's nice and low interest rate. You know, you probably have been in that house a while. So, so you've got some good equity built up there, I'd imagine, and just kind of keep on keeping on. If Patrick wants to not think about the mortgage anymore, he can even hook the portfolio up to the mortgage, have the portfolio automatically pay the mortgage. Yeah, totally cool, right? That's what I was, I was actually just thinking about that. If we took 170000 or call it two hundred, and we're trying to get 4% on it, it's 8000 I don't know what the mortgage payment is, but we could get probably a good chunk of the mortgage payment paid for every year out of the basically take the 200,000 out of the account yeah. and put it into a different account and say, pay my mortgage from this account. Yeah. Let it still be invested and you'll still end up ahead. But uh, you don't even have to do it that complicated. Keep the whole million in your investment account and just do auto pay out of that. And instead of paying your mortgage payment every month, put that money dollar cost average into the market. Let's talk briefly about homeownership in general, which was his first question. I never would use the equity in a house in a retirement plan unless we really, really, really had to because people would tell me, they'd say, well, my house is my biggest asset and I'd roll my eyes. And once I got done rolling my eyes, actually, I take that back. I wouldn't roll my eyes. I would do that. Smile and wave. I would do that internally. I would roll my eyes. Smile but and wave. But you don't want to do that because houses that you live in are places that you get emotional about. And as you know, OG, I love my house, you know? I love where I You're live. Not in love with your house, but you love it. I never want to move. I would love to stay here. And if I got to retirement and I had to move, that'd be a bad day. Like emotionally, yeah. it would be a day that I wouldn't want to see come. So if you can live in your house for your entire life and not have to touch that equity, that for me is the best plan. If you have to use the equity, then we do what we have to do. But, uh, well, and, and sometimes it comes up where it's like, well, I might downsize my house, you know? Yeah, but uh, I don't like the, the have to part of that plan. No, no, I'm just saying if it does, I'm with you 100% on this. Never in a million years would I count on a financial plan of, hey, I think my house value is going to go up by 5% a year. And uh, why don't we put me down for selling the house at age 60 and I'll take the equity important in my portfolio. No, I wouldn't count that. I would model it out and say here, you know, if you chose to do this, here's what happens. Oh, right? Like if you said, I'm going to go from my $500,000 colonial to a $250,000 condo, but here's the problem with that. That $250,000 condo in 20 years from now is 500 grand, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just, and, and this is a really kind of interesting thing. Talk to anybody who's over the age of 70 right now, who has lived in their house and paid it off. Okay. So that's, you know, you're kind of whittled down the number. But I guarantee that they pay more today in taxes and insurance than they did their entire mortgage payment while they were paying the house. So that house payment that you're planning on getting rid of doesn't go away. It's still the same house payment. You know what I mean? And so just because taxes go up every year, right? It's really kind of hard to imagine that if you're sitting at 35 and you know, you're paying a $3,000 house payment of which only a grand of that is taxes and insurance or something. You're going, nah, it'll never be that much. It will if you stay there. Yeah, just so, in, so just from in, a planning standpoint, kind of back to the house ownership stuff, I just keep that payment in forever because it's going to be there. You know, it's going to have a cost of living to, to, to live in the house. I thought when you were talking about model it, I thought you were talking about like being a model. I thought that was going to be. Well, much, I do that too on the side. Exciting. Like if you wanted me to come to your house and model it, you'd go, hey, why don't you put on a. Put Something on the slinky. 30 year, like the 30 year. Ooh, that's slinky. Put on a little, not like little the, something. Not like the 15 year. Not, 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 that's more no. conservative. Do Much not more. do the 15 year anything. Right. But if you're going to get crazy, do that, model that arm. Mm. I, I model arms pretty good. <laughs> uh, thanks for the question, Patrick. If you've got a question for us, go to the Haven Lifeline, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail or You'll also find that when you just go to stackingbenjamins.com along the top, there is a little button that says question for the show, question mark. You hit that button and there's Haven Lifeline. And if you need to write me a letter, you can send that to joe at stackingbenjamins.com. And there's also a spot there below that Haven Lifeline where you can just write one out. And finally, if you've got big questions and you know that uh, having a 
financial planner in your corner is what you need. Guess what? OG's taking clients. And you can head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and there you have it. You'll get on his calendar and he can talk to you more about what that would take to get him in your corner. That's it, man. Big thanks. Well, Doug's going to thank everybody, but love stories about paying off big debt. Thanks a ton to Lynette for coming down and hanging out with us. Anybody that pays down that much debt, just that's that's high five world. That's a that's a good day. Didn't even have to use my AK. Didn't, didn't know. Today was a good day. On Friday, get this, our listener, Vashana, joins us in the roundtable discussion. Uh, she's a member of our Green Room Facebook group and said, hey, I want to be on the show. I'm entertaining. So we talked a little bit about it. And Vashana is joining Greg and Paula on my dad's shortwave Friday. So we're going to have a great time. See everybody back here in a couple of days. Go Stacks and Benjamins. So kids, what should we have learned today? First, take some inspiration from Lynette Calfani-Cox. Ready to tackle that debt? Whether it's a thousand or a hundred thousand, put that plan in place today and get rolling. Second, thinking about holding some crazy investments in your IRA? Make sure you know all the rules about unconventional investments in your plan before you invest and make a horrible mistake. But the big lesson? Don't ask about which performer your dad is at the circus unless you're willing to find out he's the bearded lady in the freak tent. By the way, keep that between us. Nobody knows that the bearded lady's name is really Lou, not Luann. Special thanks to Lynette Calfani-Cox for coming down to the basement. You'll find more on Lynette's book, speaking, and blog at askthemoneycoach.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. And the part of Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, is played by, well, if you haven't figured that out by now, you're just not paying attention. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. One of you listeners needs to write in and let Joe and OG know why you really listen to the show. Me! Got a movie, OG. Went to see a film. A lot of people, a motion picture. A lot of people wanted to see. I, got, I know which one you saw. This film is about a woman known as Wonder Woman. The gods gave us many gifts. One day you'll know them all. This is where we keep them. It's beautiful. Who would wield it? Only the fiercest among us even could. And that is not you, Diana. You will train her harder than any Amazon before her. Five times harder. Ten times harder. Never let your guard down. You expect the battle to be fair! Until she is better than even you. And Wonder Woman crosses her arms and realizes she's got a superpower, OG. She's got some power. 
Wonder Woman is a story about a woman who is uh, growing up with the Amazons. Turns out that she was a creation, actually, and isn't one of the Amazons. Her mother, just like happened with me, had a relationship with Zeus, and together they crafted her just like, you know, Zeus and mom created me. And now I've got this superpower where I make podcasts with you. So you're welcome that I bring you along for that. But Wonder Woman doesn't know any of this. She knows a little bit about it, but not a lot about why she was created. And you find out later on in the film. This movie gets kind of a slow start. It shows her as a little kid. And uh, at first I'm like, I don't know. There's just a lot of backstory, I thought. I'm like, okay, all right, let's get there. And, and it, it was entertaining. I just, I just didn't really know where it was going. And then probably a third of the way into the movie, it really picks up. You get engrossed in the story. I couldn't believe near the end of the story how engrossed I really was. I was, I was surprised when I, I got, I'm not going to say I got emotional at the end, but, but I was invested. Did you tear up a little bit? I did. It's okay to say that you teared up a little bit. Well, you know me. Men I'm, can cry. I am good for a tear or two, but that didn't happen. But, but I did, okay. I did feel something at the end. You know, I felt, I felt in it at the end, which was good. So I've gone on record as saying that I'm pretty sick of these movies about superheroes. But but I'll is this give, a DC one? This is a DC is. one, right? It is. And because of that, it's darker. It's darker and it is uh, gritty. They talk about gassing people. It's a World War One movie. I found that unique. I thought that was pretty cool. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they talk about gases because they use gas, you know, and uh, it's a little um, it's a little more violent in a gritty way. In fact, uh, uh, the newest member of our team, Shannon, asked me about taking her 10-year-old daughter to it. And, you know, if it were Ant-Man, even though it's PG-13, I probably would have said, yeah, you know, absolutely. Or, you know, Spider-Man, yeah, yeah, you can probably take your 10-year-old. Wonder Woman, I don't think so. Uh, just some pretty, pretty adulty things going on there. So thumb, okay. thumb up from me. Not my favorite movie I've ever seen. Not my favorite superhero movie I've ever seen. But a good time. Good ride. Excellent. Excellence too far. Really good stuff. Pretty decent. Good I've got two coming up here pretty soon. Uh, Cars and Despicable Me. Excellent. You can Both tell. Both of those will be coming down range here as soon as they come out. You can tell who uh, whose wheelhouse you're working in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although I'm trying to figure out the cars. Have you seen the preview for Cars 3? Uh, yes, and I don't even remember. I don't remember what. Basically, what... it shows like this new fast car, the super awesome, and Lightning McQueen gets in a car wreck on the racetrack, and it says everything from this point forward changes. And I'm like, hmm, seems a lot like Cars 1, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> on a racetrack it's so good we made it again right yeah well there is that right they just go yeah we just put in new people and basically tell the same story over and over again because because it's a pixar movie and we'll sell a gazillion tickets well that's what i'm looking at the reboot of spider-man and you know now they're involving tony stark and iron man giving him the thing and and it's like they're redoing the way that spider-man started in this in this reboot my kid just got done watching the the last Spider-Man's Spider-Men's I don't Spider Spider Spider-Man's the last series of the them. last series of them I guess imagine in preparation for the upcoming whichever Avengers coming out next and uh, Avengers six thousand or something I think there's a Thor movie coming out soon right is that the next one that's coming I think there is a Thor movie coming out but um, there's a Thor there's a Deadpool I did see a preview for the new Blade Runner. I can't wait for that. That's going to okay. be awesome. Sci-fi is not your thing, though, is it? Nah, not particularly. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for the new Blade Runner. It's going to be great. All right. Let's, I'm going to go watch uh, Rambo 2 again. That was on AMC earlier, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> Talk about new movie. wonder if he'll get out of the jungle this time. I think there's some people listening that have no idea what Rambo 2 even is. Like, what the heck? you got to see it if you don't know. Yeah, awesome stuff. Later on. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond 
Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.